There are elements of purple flowers and tropical flowers that come through, leather and dry tannins and dark teas that come through, and it's a sort of juxtaposition of those flavors that I really just can't get enough of. Meet Elaine. As co-founder of a bean-to-bar chocolate company that she started with her husband, Matt, she's describing a few of the flavors that she tastes from her favorite chocolate bar. Julia sat down with Elaine and 20 of her oldest and newest friends for our first live podcast conversation. She forgot to invite me. Yeah, just kidding. It's actually part of a dinner series that she's hosting for young professionals in Atlanta. Hey, Dad, you got to come at the end for the chocolate samples, so that's still a pretty sweet deal. The concept revolves around content, community, and conversation. We go behind the mic with Atlanta creators. So as you listen to this episode, you'll hear some laughter, reflections, and questions from guests. You're listening to Peace and Prosperity. I'm Jeff, and that's Julia. We're a dad and daughter duo who tell stories about Atlanta. On today's episode, we'll learn the story behind Chocolatel. The famous chocolate makers in Krog Street Market and learn about the art, history, and science behind the brand. Before we began our conversation, our first priority was learning how to pronounce the name of this beloved brand. So the word I know a lot of people refer to us as the chocolate shop at Krog Street or XO Chocolate. Um, and I am now on a one-woman mission to, uh, to demystify the pronunciation, the meaning of our name. Chocolato. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll say chocolatel. <laughs> oh, God. Can you get that on tape? Behind chocolatel. Lottle! Chocolatel. Chocolatel. When you choose to name your company a word that starts with X and comes from a dead language, marketing professionals will probably tell you that you might be making the wrong decision. The name has us intrigued. Where did it come from? So chocolatel is actually the original word for chocolate. In Mesoamerica thousands of years ago, there were various groups of people living. So there were Aztecs, Mayans, Olmecs. And these people had a shared tongue, which was called Nahuatl. In Nahuatl, chocolatel meant bitter water. Where that ties into chocolate, cacao or cocoa, these two words are mostly interchangeable, but cocoa was very highly valued commodity. It was an agricultural product. It was used as currency, so beans actually had a monetary value. But sort of most important was the ceremonial aspect of cacao. So the seeds of the fruit cacao would be roasted and then ground with stones and and something similar into a thick paste. That paste would be mixed with hot water and repeatedly stirred into a frothy drink. From this historical inspiration, Chocolatel added a local twist. The name Chocolatel is very much steeped into the history of what we now know as chocolate. The first part, chocolate, means bitter. The second part, otl, means water. Because Matt and I wanted to really honor the origin of chocolate, we were interested in the name. And then, of course, because we knew we'd be coming back to Atlanta to start this business, we also found it really hard to pass up the connection to the ATL. So let's continue our chocolate history lesson with Elaine. 
The beverage was famously consumed by Montezuma, who I think, you know, reports say he drank 30 cups a day, really fortified the mind and the body. From this Aztec era of chocolate, we travel further south to Central America, where Elaine and Matt's chocolate journey begins with an adventure abroad. We always had this dream of returning to Puerto Viejo. There was just something magical that spoke to both of us. So then fast forward now to 2012 when I am out of work and pregnant and Matt has decided that he has done his last political campaign and doesn't want to do anymore. We decide that we're going to throw it all in and just move to this little town that we hadn't been to for several years. The smart thing to do would be to wait for the baby to be born and then we would rent out our loft, move down to Costa Rica, make the arrangements down with Eva, who was at that point four months, our son, who was three years old. We had no plan, but we did have our loft rented out. So that was actually going to be able to cover our financial obligations here in Atlanta. And we figured that we would land on our feet somehow. So we're living in Costa Rica in a tiny house in the jungle that kind of butts right up to the sea. The rainforest just basically extends right up to the ocean. It's just this amazing topography and environment. And the community that we were living in was very health and wellness, positive energy focused, which we really loved. And while we were there, we became friends with chocolate makers who were actually growing their own cacao on their land and going through the process of harvesting, roasting their cacao, grinding it, adding sugar, turning it into chocolate, and tempering it into chocolate bars. The one indulgence that we had were chocolate bars from a farmer's market in Puerto Viejo. And there are these little bars that probably cost something like $1.20 or something. But that was our weekly splurge. That was the thing that we were going to kind of kind of bust our budget for every week. We didn't share it with the kids <laughs> after they went to sleep. Eventually, Elaine and Matt decided to return to Atlanta. But they weren't quite sure what to do next. We decided that it made sense to come back to Atlanta. And we were talking with one of our friends who's a chocolate maker and talking about how we're going to be moving back to Atlanta. We were kind of figuring out what we wanted to do. Neither of us necessarily wanted to return to our prior careers. As much respect as we had for, on that side, progressive politics and campaigning, and on my side, international aid and development, we both knew we needed something different. Our friend Paul Johnson said, why don't you make chocolate? It was this huge light bulb that went off. It hadn't occurred to us at all. And we thought, why not? <laughs> so we started working with Paul and his employees. And we um, had another friend named Peter, who was also making chocolate. We worked with him and his employees and basically learned the basics of how to make bean to bar chocolate and decided that this is what we're going to do. We were living in the Studioplex Lofts, which is only about a block away from Crog Street Market. So we knew that Crog Street Market was in development, being from this neighborhood that was going to be a huge hit, that it was something that the neighborhood was really going to support. And so we called the leasing agent, told her that we were chocolate makers with a chocolate making business, that we were in Costa Rica sourcing cacao and meeting with farmers, and that they should really consider leasing us some space. The leasing manager evidently did not do very very thorough vetting <laughs> because she let us sign a lease. And that is the beginning of the story. As they began to build their business, they brought with them the spirit of Costa Rica and an Atlanta twist in everything they created from the chocolate to the packaging. 
We wanted our branding to inspire happiness and joy. That was really kind of like our grounding principle. And one of the things that most sort of visually supportive of happiness is color. So we wanted to use colors that made us happy and that we thought were going to make most people happy. The colors that we chose actually root to the origin of the company too. So we were in um, the, the Atlantic side of Costa Rica, which has a definite Caribbean culture running through it. And houses that are painted just these beautiful teals and blues and greens, just really happy Caribbean colors. Cacao pods, completely coincidentally, or maybe not, as they are ripening on cacao trees, actually are those same colors. So they are the same kind of teals and purples and oranges that you think of when you think of Caribbean colors. And so that was the first thing. We wanted to have a color palette that was going to be bright and inspire joy. With the our logo that has triangles running the rim, we wanted that to be reflective also of chocolate's origins in the Aztec culture. So with triangles and pyramids being a part of that culture and, and the, the sort of sun being a part of the, the culture as well, we wanted to be able to honor that in our packaging. So once you unwrap this beautiful packaging and save the wrapper to frame, the chocolate that's inside is just as unique as it is beautiful. We'll learn more about what's on their menu and why. There are basically two types of dark chocolate that we make. One line is our single origin bars, where what we really want to do is highlight the different flavor profiles from the different countries or the different growing environments that the beans come from. So in as much as the growing environment could affect the flavor of coffee or wine, the same is true with cacao as well. And so if you are uh, growing cacao in a really volcanic area, you're going to be tasting more kind of ashy, earthy flavors. Our Madagascar cacao is known to be very bright and fruity with like very noticeable notes of citrus and red berry. What we really geeked out about <laughs> was the opportunity to introduce Atlantans who hadn't had a chance to experience this with chocolate about how chocolate can taste very different depending on not only where it was grown, but also the various skills and techniques of the farmers that were harvesting, fermenting, and drying the beans. And there are different processes and what different flavors that would elicit. And then we also, I think, kind of realized that people like chocolate with nuts and salt and mint and things like that. And so as our kind of secondary line, we created our flavor inclusion line, which we didn't roll out immediately. We were so excited about the idea. So we've seen the development of our flavor inclusion line growing and growing. We basically just wanted to take the classic flavor profile. So I know that there's a lot of emphasis put on innovation and flavor, which I think is fantastic. And we had decided that while we do want to innovate with flavor, we also want to kind of really hone in on some of the classic flavor pairings. Having said that, we do have some kind of off-the-wall flavors. So the first flavored bar that we created is called Soul Rebel. It is directly inspired from our time in Costa Rica, where, as I said, there's a very Caribbean feel that goes through the area. And so it's a chocolate bar where we use coconut milk. We sprinkle in jerk spices. It's got a lot of coconut and heat, and people either love or hate this bar. They're, it's a very polarizing bar, but it's the one one where we thought this is a flavor combination that, that we really want people to experience. This interview with Elaine included 20 awesome dinner guests who were part of a conversation. Ben Spears asked one of the first questions from the community. So what are some of the sort of core values that y'all have either brought to it or found in yourselves in the years during this 
small businessing? We identified really early on that we wanted our chocolate and our company more broadly to stand for three things. To support environmental sustainability in agriculture, and it was to do what we could to help create some sort of positive social impact in the small degree that we could on the communities that we were working in, both in the origin countries as well as here in Atlanta. And then thirdly, we wanted to make a product um, that was quality. We asked people to spend between 9 and $10 for a chocolate bar, which is probably about four times the amount that most people are used to spending on chocolate. We could not make this be about gouging our customers had to actually deliver on a product that we thought was worthy of that price. That price is made up from the fact that we have humans here in America making our chocolate. Labor in the U.S. is far more expensive than it can be in other countries. And then when that labor is human and not machine, it's even more so. And then the other part of our pricing goes to what we pay our farmers. So we endeavor to have direct and transparent and honest relationships with our suppliers. In the case of four out of our five origins, that comes in the form of direct trade with our cacao farmers. With their passion for travel that brought Elaine and Matt accidentally into the chocolate world, they prioritize planning visits to the farms where they source their cacao. So we actually go down and travel to countries of origin, not just meet the farmers and see their land, but also get an opportunity to learn, really get a sense of the real blood, sweat, and tears that they put into the work that they do, and then to identify any possible areas where we might be able to support them aside from just buying their beans. And so whether that's potentially helping to connect them to organizations where they could gain organic certification or fair trade certification. We travel annually to cooperative in Peru. It's on the eastern side of the Andes. Basically one night bus trip from Lima. There's no reason that a foreigner would go to this particular area. It's a really, really sleepy town. Not that much is happening aside from massive amounts of coffee production and a little bit of cacao production. It's a cooperative that's seen the effects of environmental degradation and climate change, expanding their portfolio to include cacao because the lands that they can grow coffee on are diminishing. To work with them, we are really committed to working with them to see what kind of support we could give them in a, in a very mutual it's not about us patronizing them, but a very mutual relationship where we might be able to support them so that they can get more of their beans onto the international market. John Berman, who previously lived in Argentina and also has spent time traveling in South America, wanted to know more about the farmer decision process. You know, there are thousands of growers that you could choose from from the different countries. How did you settle upon specific people to work with? How did you meet them? Why did you choose them in particular? It's been through word of mouth. So the craft chocolate world is a very collaborative space and people are very willing to share information. The different cacaos that we source directly from have been alerted to them by various people. So in the case of Peru, there is a coffee roaster in America's Georgia called Cafe Campesino. We've been huge fans of theirs for a while because they've been leaders in direct sourcing in the coffee world for so long. And so we are inspired. And the owner of Cafe Campesino, Bill Harris, one day came up to our shop and asked me if we needed cacao beans from Peru. And at the time, I said, no. <laughs> I said, no, we don't. Um, a little bit more nicely than that. We had already had uh, beans from Peru and we were interested in having like one 
one origin per country. But then we had some challenges in our supply chain. And so uh, once I realized that we did, in fact, want an, a different supply of proving cacao, reached out to Bill, and he immediately put us in touch with the manager of the cooperative, this amazing woman named Esperanza. It was within six months that Matt and I were on our, taking our first trip down to Peru to meet her. This bean-to-bar process isn't easy. Helen Shaw wanted to know more about the ups and downs of the business. What is the most challenging process as you're learning how to make chocolate? And how did you like, how did you feel and how did you overcome the process of learning? There are, there are so many variables that go into really trying to draw out the flavor of the food, especially when what you're positing that you are doing is educating customers on the specific flavor nuances of things that are ultimately very similar to each other. So we have a couple of different 70% single origin bars where the quantity of sugar might vary by 1% to 5%, but every bar is actually just made up of two ingredients, cacao from some origin and cane sugar. And to be able to consistently develop the flavor of the different chocolates where there's enough of a difference between the chocolate to be able to kind of like deliver on, on what we're saying we can do is a challenge because you've, when you're roasting cacao in a convection oven, which is what we're doing, you can see temperature spikes and someone can open a door to check on the beans to see if they're popping. And we don't have a way of measuring how every time that oven door opens, what amount of moisture is being released or how quick the temperature is dropping and then where it needs to go back up. There are tools that you can buy to be able to track this stuff, but they're not tools that we have. Jody Greenberg asked about the delicate balance of work and life that led to advice for any business owner. Working for yourself and small business is a blessing and a curse. How do you set boundaries for yourself and create out of workspace to kind of recharge and refuel so that you can go back to work and be creative again? Um, I was a disaster the first two years. I am naturally my mother's daughter, which means I'm a workaholic. I get kind of neurotic about details. And anyone who's a detail-focused person knows that details require a lot of time. <laughs> so I had no no clear boundaries, and it was uh, it was not a healthy environment for me or... Actually, one of the things that we did was move out of our loft. So when we came back to Atlanta, started at Krog, we moved back to the loft, which is a block away. And we were receiving shipments of like literally pallets that would hold a ton of cacao beans, boxes and boxes of boxes for anyone who's done packaging. And I remember one morning waking up and putting my foot outside the bed and it literally landed in work. And because there was just like work piled up from what I had you know, done the night before. And I was like, this needs to change. That's what precipitated our move to Adair Park on the other side of town. Um, so we still use our loft as our office and our order fulfillment and our test kitchen. And, a lot. you know, we're there every day, um, but we don't live there anymore. It took me a long time to realized that every time I took my laptop home and said I was going to work on stuff after the kids went to bed, by the time that happened, I was so tired that I wasn't going to. And so I think also the kids getting older, um, they're nine and six now. When I look at them, if I'm working late, what I find that I regret is not the work that I didn't get to that day, but the amount of time that I didn't get to spend with the kids that day. Since you bring up the kids now that they're a little bit older, how do they feel about the business? Is it something that they're invigorated about as well? Is it something that they get frustrated about the amount of time you have to dedicate towards it? Somewhere in between? Both of those things. I mean, I do get frustrated about the time that we spend on it. Um, but I think that they have some of the same frustration that kids 
that have working parents feel, kind of regardless. Their parents are working at a chocolate factory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a dream. <laughs> Sign me up. Like, adopt me now. <laughs> They, uh, they are. The kids are convinced that they're going to um, be our front of house sales staff and our packagers. And as soon as I can get them to to focus on a thing for more than like ten minutes, we might employ them. And Ian Cohn wanted to know what are chocolatels dreams for the future. Well, first off, this is a revelation. I'm a huge like chocolate person, but I, I'm also a creature of routine and I never go to places I've never been to, which leaves me to going to like one place. Uh, but I, w- I've just decided that, that chocolate is going to be like my new thing. And I, I'm going to go to your place every, every day. Even if I don't like the, the heavy jerk spice one, which I probably won't, but I wanted to just at a high level, kind of what's the state of the business today. And then what's next? Like what's your, is it, you know, more flavors or is it expansion or, or what? I'm curious. We have been for a while actively looking for larger production space. So we basically took the chocolate pie and cut ourselves off the smallest portion of it. We decided we were only going to offer to our customers chocolate bars, not truffles, not other confections. We have been kind of chomping at the bit for a while to expand into truffles and some of the other confectionery that I think people who are not huge dark chocolate fans, it would be a great kind of step away from maybe the chocolate that they, that we all probably grew up eating into something that is, I think, going to be exciting and interesting to them while not as direct introduction to just dark chocolate. As our conversation with Elaine came to a close, we ended it on a sweet note with a chocolate tasting. So if you want to follow along at home, you can push pause and pick up these three signature bars to join us virtually. Then grab a glass of water and maybe some bread because we learned about the art of cleansing our palate in between taste testing. If you really kind of want to geek out about the flavor, um, what you could do is take a bite and then let that piece melt on your tongue. Just kind of let it sit on your tongue. It won't melt right away. It's going to take a minute. But let it sit on your tongue, and then as the cocoa butter starts to melt, the flavor will hit the different parts of your tongue where you kind of identify sweet or acid or tannins. So that would be the ideal way. Ideally, also, um, drink room-temperature water, maybe have some white. The first bar that you'll be trying is our single origin Peru 70%. This bar uh, only has two ingredients. So 70% of the bar by weight is cacao from Peru, from the cooperative that I mentioned we work with on the other side of the Andes. And 30% is organic cane sugar. We won a Good Good Food Award for that bar two years ago. And for those of you who might not know the Good Food Awards, um, it's a it's an annual recognition of different craft food and beverages in the U.S. that demonstrate a real commitment to a transparent and ethical supply chain and environmental practices and as well as the quality of the flavor and so we are definitely very proud of that award. We took that same cacao and last year won another good food award for a bar called Ripple Effect which is a flavor inclusion bar. It started off as going to be a limited one-time run. Wild Heaven Brewery over in Avondale asked us um, if we could provide them with nibs for a Russian Imperial Stout that they were making two years ago. We said, of course, we'd love to. Their beer had our cacao nibs, fresh raspberries infused, and it was just a very thick and dark and really kind of decadent, dark, dark stout. What we decided to do is take the nibs back, get them smoked. So they were smoked over Applewood um, by Pine Street Market um, over in the same area. Um, So we sprinkled the 
the smoked nibs on the back and then added uh, freeze-dried raspberries onto the back. And we had also, in the chocolate, swirled in more raspberries as well as blood orange-infused olive oil. So you get a lot of citrus. And then the sweet fruitiness gets balanced out by the kind of savory smokiness of the nibs. So that was the award-winning bar that we had from last year. And then the bar that just far outsells any other bar is our Kiss Mermaids bar. It's our coconut milk bar that has vanilla-infused nibs on the back, vanilla-infused sea salt, and roasted nibs on the back. I'm definitely a fan of the Kissed Mermaids. As Julia and her mom know, coconut desserts are my favorite. Oh, yes, we know. And now we know a lot more about the art, history, and science behind Chocolatl. Thank you to Elaine for joining us to share their story. And thank you to our wonderful dinner guests for transforming our table into a community with content and conversation and a little bit of gratitude that's off the mic for now. Thank you for listening to Peach and Prosperity. If you like what you've heard, give us a review wherever you listen and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Cacao. Cacao. <laughs> Cacao. Sounds like um, a poetry reading. <laughs> <laughs>